Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today I get to sit down with Andreas Faulman, who gave one of the best keynote speeches at the EAM conference a couple of weeks ago, so I just had to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Andreas. Thank you very much. Yeah, so my name is Andreas Faulman. I'm originally Swedish, there by the, the weird accent, and I'm a comparative physiologist, so I study anything that holds its breath and dives so i'm interested in trying to understand physiological limitations and i think it's it's an important aspect of understanding how climate change and man-made um, changes to the environment may affect these animals so it's sort of like we see a comparison now is we see a lot of prices going up with inflation mm -hmm. especially in sweden this is a huge issue uh Prices go up for everything, for for power, for electricity, and the environment may have a similar effect on these animals. So basically, it changing changes their um, their capacity to do things. So their income is oxygen. They have to come back to the surface to breathe, and they can only bring down so much. So your paycheck is only so big. Their mm. amount of oxygen is only so big. So they can then use that oxygen to dive underwater mm -hmm. and how they distribute that and how they use that oxygen is really important it depends on how long they can dive how much fish they can catch or how much food they can catch underwater mm -hmm. just as much as your paycheck is gonna be enough for you to to cap to to capture enough food in the food store <laughs> to pay your bills to pay the electricity to pay gas in your car so if you change the the environment if there's less food if the food is in a different place that is going to have a huge impact on these animals and what we're trying to understand is at what point in time do they not have enough resources enough oxygen to be able to find enough food yeah definitely and you know this is an audio platform so you can't get away with your little visual trick about taking <laughs> taking risks that you did at the AM conference I may or may we, you took your clothes off basically which definitely captured attention but the reason for doing that was you wanted to show everyone hey this is me like I'm not a stuffy button-down shirt kind of guy you were like I'm gonna do this speech in a t-shirt shorts and flip-flops because that's who I am so you love the ocean where where did that passion first come from well, it's I grew up on the Baltic coast in Sweden, in northern Sweden, and like a lot of kids my age, we watched TV in black and white, and it was Jacques Cousteau, and I was just right. absolutely amazed by the ocean. I had a, a brother to my grandfather who was a diver. He was a diver in the Swedish Navy, and he wrote some books on diving. And I read them cover to cover, and I was just absolutely amazed by this. Then I became a teenager, forgot about it for a bit, 
<laughs> and then I realized I need to do something with my life or at least do something. Uh, so I moved to Hawaii and studied and took a class in animal physiology and completely fell in love with it. Wow, that's a bit of a culture shock going from Sweden to Hawaii. What was that like? Yeah, that was that was a big change. It it was difficult. It's I highly recommend traveling uh, because I think you learn. These are some of the greatest experiences I've had, and you learn a lot from seeing other cultures, being in other places, and studying in a different language was really challenging. Mm. It it's it's difficult but yeah it, for me it was great it was a great experience and thanks to the swedish government we could do this we could go abroad and take a loan and get an education it was really difficult at that time to get into university yeah and we could then take that with us and go abroad yeah, and, and I was going to ask, like, did you first start diving in Sweden or in Hawaii? Because I know which one I would pick. <laughs> no, I actually started diving. I went on a trip with a friend. We backpacked. We did one of these flying around the world with mm. a backpack. And we were in New Zealand. And I had, I was determined I was going to take a diving license. And my friend was a little bit more skeptical, but he he tagged along. And we did that. And then... I was diving for a couple of years, uh, which was a great, great experience. And anyone that hasn't been snorkeling or scuba diving, I highly recommend it. Then that brought me into interest for the ocean again. And that's why I moved to Hawaii to study marine biology. And that's where I sort of came in contact with animal physiology and all the wonders of it's sort of you open the hood of a car and how does this thing work? You yeah. you see what these animals can do and then you start wondering how do they actually do these things? How can they hold their breath for some animals can do it for over three hours? Yeah. And I mean, I can manage 30 seconds and it's just, <laughs> how do they do it? How do they, how do they dive into the absolute pitch dark, find food, um, navigate, how do Penguins, for example, they I worked on a, on a little island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And they take off from the beach, they swim south 400 kilometers, they dive and get fat, and they come back and they just find this little speck in the ocean. So how do they do these things? So yeah, I think that's what's fascinating. And uh, yeah, there there's there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, do you think it was your interest in diving that really made you go down the route of respiratory physiology as opposed to anything else no the respiratory thing is no one else is doing it no one is okay. crazy enough <laughs> to do it because it's it's a it's a tricky thing to do so um there's a lot of smart people doing studying marine mammals and i sort of look the la the path for least resistance mm. So if no one is doing it, you don't have to compete. But no, it's it's super interesting because there is a lot of things happening when these animals are diving. Uh, there's pressure, there is temperature, there is no access to oxygen or carbon dioxide. So how do these gas field spaces work? How do they, or how do they not work? And what's the difference between humans that can't really do this well compared mm -hmm. to some of these animals that do it day in and day out? 
Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, this type of research and better understanding the respiratory physiology of marine mammals is so useful in understanding what's going on with wild populations at the moment. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned um, the right whales who are having a massive problem of becoming entangled. You know, Mm -hmm. I think the average person watching that doesn't necessarily understand the implications of something no, like that it, it's a huge welfare problem I, it's just horrible to to think about these animals getting entangled in in crab traps and fishing nets and then dragging this along and it's cutting into their tissues it's sort of like you're running around with fishing line and then that's cutting into your tissues they can't dive properly they can't feed properly and they basically start to death so it's a huge huge issue it's it's a really really horrible way to to treat animals and there's a lot of really good work being done by colleagues trying to make changes because fishermen needs to survive too so Mm -hmm. it's this whole thing and that was my my attempt of trying to we all need to coexist so we need to work together and this they've done really beautifully with the people in oceanographic where they work with the fishermen to try and to understand this this effect that um bycatch when the turtles get caught in the nets the impact that it has on the turtles mm. so the fishermen are out there this is their their where they find their livelihood they want the ocean to thrive they want the ocean to continue having life and if we can work together with them i think we have a much better chance of um making it work yeah definitely and um after you graduated from university in Hawaii, where did you go next? Um, I moved to Canada to do a PhD and I started off in the, the wrong end. So sometimes you do things in life that don't work out too well. So I did, I started off doing something called molecular biology to try and to understand how the, the signaling side the body with genes and with proteins are functioning, but that wasn't really my thing. Then I switched project um, and I got in touch with a researcher. Her name is Susan Kyer. She worked for the U.S. Navy and mm-hmm. was working on a project. It's really, really cool project that was sort of something that was um, really um, a project from the Cold War where the U.S. Navy tried to do ultra deep diving. So mm-hmm. they dive on different gases and mm-hmm. that project led me to just starting with diving physiologists so i work with the u.s navy with that project and then just got interested in diving again so what are the consequences of diving what are the different problems with diving you know, have nitrogen narcosis you have high pressure nervous syndrome you have decompression sickness and I was just, should I continue with humans? Should I work with animals? And I wasn't sure. And the passion is the passion is animals because humans are interesting, but animals are in some ways fascinating because they can do, they stretch physiology to such an extreme mm. in some ways that mm. humans can't do. Then I mean, I, just at the base level with marine mammals, like you have a mammal living in water. <laughs> You know, they're yeah. literally living in an environment where they can't breathe. Like it does, if you really yeah. think about it, it doesn't make sense. No, 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 it's, 
how, how have they managed to to evolve to do these things they do and without having problems i mean we're some people are trying to attempt this and and they're doing a decent job of it some populations and in some areas in the world they they work day day in and day out trying to make a living from the ocean with breath yeah. and you know uh, they can do it but they can't do some of the things that these animals can do yeah and you eventually ended up back in Hawaii you ended up partnering with Dolphin Quest is that correct yeah yeah correct correct so that was we we had some attempts of trying to understand lung function uh, this is much better when you see it live because we tried <laughs> to put one of these spirometers and over the blowhole of a sperm whale which was a huge disaster it didn't tell us out. tell us about it How, tell, <laughs> tell us about that process yeah we we had a project um I worked with a colleague called Michael Moore at Woodsole Oceanographic Institution, and he had a cruise going to New Zealand. They were going to put tags on these biologging tags that can measure depth and duration on sperm whales. And I thought, well, other people have done this on, on other whales, so why shouldn't we try? So I teamed up with a veterinarian, and he built some equipment, and we paddled around in an inflatable kayak with the equipment between us and finally we met some sperm whales and they were big and scary and we said i said paddle the other way and he said, no paddle forward and that was just no paddle backwards so i think we sort of regrouped on that and and thought why don't we work with animals in managed care because it's it's much easier to do this under controlled circumstances and when the animals can decide if they want to participate or not mm. participate, you know, they have the control on their day to day, what they want to do and what they don't want to do. So we started doing that with Dolphin Quest and uh, we built some equipment and we sort of had some iterations before we could make it work. And that wasn't, I think it was in 2013. And then we sort of modified and revised the equipment. And now we have a new device that we actually tested in Cool Norton. I think they are sending you a, a post on the AM website. Oh, I'm sure, probably. Yeah, we, no, we just try this new ultrasonic device that we work with a company in Switzerland called NDD Incorporated. And they build things for humans, but these animals breed very differently from a human. So we've done some modifications with their help and their engineers. So hopefully yeah. that's, that's going to be the next best thing. I mean, it's definitely so important. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that relationship between studying animals mm -hmm. in managed care and then being able to kind of take those results and what we've learned from that and apply it, you know, to yeah. your trials out in the wild you know you never know like a couple of years down the line you might be back out there face to face with the sperm whale with a with a uh, better approach no, no, no. there are still some discussions about maybe not a sperm whale but at least a big whale um yeah i i think i think you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head in that you know we can discuss ethics and and those things but the importance of these animals for conservation yeah a lot of the things we do need validation it needs confirmation it needs 
So for example, the long function stuff we've done um, just by chance, we managed to, to see that we can use this as a diagnostic tool. Mm. And that was in managed care because we know the health of these animals. We can see how the, when an animal was healthy, got pneumonia and then was treated, we could then follow that through time. Mm-hmm. And now we can use that information to either see how healthy is the environment and the animals in, in the ocean, in the wild. We can use it as a stranding tool for animals that are stranded on a beach. There you can go and then either diagnose the animals and see which ones are healthy and which ones are the ones that you should put your efforts into saving. Or you For could anyone look- that's listening who maybe doesn't understand why a marine mammal who is beached why their breathing would suffer because I think for a lot of people that don't have a good understanding of marine mammal physiology might be like well they're out of the water so surely they can breathe okay yeah, that's a good point that's a really good point but when you weigh 300 kilos and you lay on the ground try it at home lay on the floor yeah. and try to breathe and so uh, small dolphin for example compared to maybe a blue whale or a fin whale or a humpback whale when they're up on the beach it is really difficult they're not built to breathe on land especially when they're laying down so this puts a lot of challenge um and with time there they can't exchange the gases properly and they're they're suffering from it and also if they come up on the beach they may they may be animals that are having disease and then if you have 10 animals on the beach, which ones should you focus yeah. on? Which ones should you give the help to first? Mm-hmm. So It's really interesting to see that, you know, if you apply it just to that one example, you know, a stranded animal, that's animals in managed care researchers, veterinary, vet, veterinarians, sorry, yeah. I can't speak. And um, rescue teams are all coming together from research, for example, yeah. that you have done with animals in managed care. You know, it has so many different possibilities that can come from it yeah and and i think that's that's the beauty of it and that's what i think i think the trainers have have taught me a lot they've taught me you know teamwork Uh, we need to collaborate across we work a lot with trainers we work a lot with veterinarians biologists ecologists and you can always learn from them because mm. you they think in ways that you don't usually you have thought in in a certain way and and trying to solve problems in your way and then someone either comes with an idea i mean i don't know how many times the trainers have said how do you think this works or mm-hmm. why are they doing this and you just i don't know let's find out i mean we yeah. just we have a student now in sweden that is starting a master thesis based on a comment done by a trainer. I love because that. Because we're curious. So this is, it's not my research, it's our research, because it's the whole community that has done this. And, you know, we all participate. Yeah, I love that. And I think a really good example, um, or quote unquote case study, you could say, of things like this all coming together with effort from multiple different professions is the case study of Chester, the false killer whale who was rescued by the Vancouver mm-hmm. Aquarium. Were you involved in that? Not in not in the rescue. So I came out a little bit after. I think he had been there for a week and I was out for a meeting. And I used to work 
closely with Vancouver Aquarium because mm -hmm. they had a program where they had sea lions in a marina. They live in the marina mm -hmm. and they were out doing um, training in, in the inlet. So I knew the veterinarian and he knew the work we were doing because we were doing some work with their belugas they had at the moment. And I was there and he said, well, do you want to do some lung function studies on, on these animals? So a colleague of mine, um, Marina Piscatelli was there. So I just gave her the equipment and she followed up on this and made some measurements. And you can definitely see how he's recovering, how he's improving. And the use of this, you know, it's it's a useful tool for so many things. And that's what I, my hope is now to try to, look we've gotten this far how can we give this back to the community and how can this be used for improving the welfare of the animals that live in in aquariums and that live under managed care and giving a resource for veterinarians that are working in the field that are either working with stranded animals or as a research tool to try to understand maybe different populations or the health of different populations in different areas. So for example, we work a lot with Randy Wells in Sarasota to try to understand respiratory health in those animals. So mm -hmm. his population has been studied for 50 years in Sarasota Bay. And it's a reference population that is then used to compare to other populations. For example, during the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, you had an oil platform that blew up. You had lots and tons and tons of oil that went into the to the water. And it eventually came onto the shores of Louisiana, um, Alabama, Texas, a little bit. And a lot of animals suffered from it. There's still uh, measurements being done on these animals, just seeing it, the long-lasting effects. And what we can do then is we can use this tool to see and compare the different populations yeah and to not to throw blame but i think it's a tool to see and to, to make comparisons and try to understand what what the impacts are and how long does it mm -hmm. take for these populations to recover and what can we do to make them recover yeah, I think it's so important. And I think it's really important for the lay person to understand the importance of the research that we do. Because I mm -hmm. think, you know, I see it often on social media, or even in daily life, you know, when you talk about, oh, but we do so much research with these animals, and people are still kind of like, well, why do you have to like, what do we really yeah. still need to know about them? And I think this is such a fantastic example of, well, this is why. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. And, and there's a lot of really, really interesting and exciting research going on. And, and some is more basic, trying to understand some basic aspects of it. Some are more applied. Some is in the field directly with the animals to looking at impact and looking at population levels. Mm. So there's, um, I think my hope is that we can bridge the people that are working a lot in the field with the people that are working in managed care. I think we can learn a lot from each yeah. other. And I see that during these health assessments that we do with the Sarasota Dolphin Research Project every year because they're trainers, they're veterinarians, they're biologists, they're lay people that come out and get a chance to see this. And you learn a lot by sharing the information and by seeing what's actually going on there. I think it's all... We, we all love the animals and we're all really interested in the mm -hmm. animals but I think as individuals 
our brains work in very different ways. So like something that a scientist might look at an animal and think one thing, a trainer might look and see something else. Absolutely. And a vet will yeah. look and see something else as well. So if we can all collaborate, we're going to yeah. learn so much more about the animals. No, and it, I I worked in Mexico with um, a facility and I was talking to the trainer and he was really involved with disentanglement of large whales. Mm. I just, okay, that's interesting. And he was telling me that based on his knowledge of dolphin behavior, he could read the whales and understand their behavior. And with that, have a much better success of disentangling animals. And uh-huh. I think this is just such an amazing story that mm. you apply that knowledge to save wildlife. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's, I think, you know, we're talking about activists. We're all activists because we all want to yes. save Yes, yes, yes. I say that all the time. We all have to be activists because yeah. we're trying to enact change. That's what being an activist is. Activist isn't a bad word. You know, you can have extremists on both sides that are not being helpful. um, But the people that love the animals and want to do what's best for them are the people that we need to be reaching out to. No, exactly. I I totally agree. I Mm -hmm. totally agree. And and we all can do a small part just by Mm -hmm. asking questions or all by you know, trying to understand, you know, if you hear something on social media that is maybe controversial and you just, oh, this is horrible. These animals shouldn't be treated this way. Well, may, maybe try to investigate a little bit more yeah. what is actually going on. And I think a really fun anecdote, you mentioned it the other week, was um, research involving the dolphin Fitbit. <laughs> yeah that's a great project it's a really really it's it's another spin-off so i had the chance of working with um he was then a student now still a student of life but he finished his name is austin allen so with this device then we've made some modifications so we can measure energy consumption and then there's a lot of research going on with um what they call bio tags or biologging devices so you put this it's a phone sized device you put it with suction cup on the back of the animal and then just like the devices can measure how many steps we take and then convert that to calories we measured how active they were and their related activity to metabolic rate to energy consumption so now we can actually put this device on animals in the wild they swim around and we can assess different activities so how much does it cost to to catch a fish how much does it cost to avoid being hit by a boat and with that then seeing and assessing changes to um, these animals lives that is being done by humans so more boats more avoiding being hit by a boat and what does that translate to into um to my daily life and my ability to survive, not just from not being hit by a boat, but also how many more calories do I need to consume to to do in zigzagging between all the boats? Yeah, I think it's such an interesting um, project. And this, for anyone who's a regular listener to the podcast, will be like, the marine world is so small because I've had Jason Brock on the pod. Now I've had you. And I'm sure I'll get Austin on at some point to, <laughs> yeah. to chat to chat more in depth about it as well. Um, 
but yeah, it's just so lovely to collaborate in this way. And even with that last study that you mentioned, you're talking about observing wild animals and trying to figure out how much energy consumption is caused by avoiding boats or avoiding people or whatever. I, I asked you a question at the conference, which was, um, have trainers adapted any training methods after learning you know mm -hmm. how much energy their animals are expending you know are they adapting base diets are they changing training practices because i think it can severely impact welfare in a good way you know if you if you can learn all of these different things about your animals you can make sure that you're doing right by them absolutely and i think that's the beauty of this and and if you're honest is okay we're trying to find objective ways of measuring welfare. And you can do that with some of these things. You can look at behavior. And if you see certain behaviors that may indicate poor, poor welfare, you can then change what you're doing. You can change the, the place where they, they live. You can make modifications. You can change to their daily routines. And then you can actually assess it. So it's not just she said, he said. Yeah. It's not a... A, it's more you're taking the subjectivity out of it you're making it an objective measure and we can actually see that and we can measure that so i think that's that's a great point there's been a beautiful study done by there's several institutions that have put these tags on them on especially dolphins and then looking at um this as how much does a dolphin swim in a day in in the managed care facility compared to in the wild and there's not most of them um swim equally much um but i think this is is a really important measure and with these tools we can start to modify things we can start yeah. to modify their daily routine we can start to modify and um, and observe things and be proactive and improving the lives for these animals definitely well andreas thank you so much um for coming on and sharing all of this wisdom and knowledge and it's i'm sure everyone who's listening has learned so much thank you very much thank you guys so much for listening if you have enjoyed this week's episode then please don't forget to like rate and subscribe and i will catch you all next week <laughs>